Welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast. I'm Evan Schwarztrauber. On today's show, tech, trade, and NAFTA. As President Trump looks to renegotiate the North American Free Trade Agreement, what does it mean for technology? How has this 25-year-old agreement helped or hurt technology up until now? And what sorts of considerations are going into the renegotiation? And what is the tech industry looking to get out of a rethinking of NAFTA? Joining me to discuss this is Edward Bristwa, Director of Global Policy for ITI. That's the Information Technology Industry Council. Ed, thanks for joining the show. Thanks very much, Evan. So, Ed, uh, for listeners who are not familiar with ITI, uh, what do you guys do? ITI, well, we're an advocacy association. Uh, we represent 60 of the, the biggest and most innovative technology companies in the world. Uh, we advocate on behalf of our members on really critical issues to them. So trade policy is one of those issues. Uh, I would say cybersecurity, privacy, standards, uh, regulatory compliance. It's a pretty long list of things that we care about at the ITI on, on behalf of our members. Um, just to give you a couple of examples of who our members are, I think it's a lot of the big names you've heard of. So Apple, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, IBM, uh, pretty long list. Yeah. And it's people who make software, people who make equipment. It's, it's fairly broad. So um, your colleague, uh, Ashley Friedman, testified uh, recently about NAFTA. And one of the things she said that was interesting is that NAFTA, it, because it's 25 years old, we're talking about an agreement that predates dial-up internet, right? So when we talk about renegotiating NAFTA or when the president threatens to withdraw, people might be scratching their heads. Why does this matter for an industry that was not even in existence when the agreement was written? So even though we didn't really have the internet or the commercial internet that you know people can interact with on a daily basis when NAFTA was written, has it mattered for technology between then and now? Every trade agreement, no matter when it was negotiated, matters for companies, whether they're in the technology sector or not. Uh, the first thing you have to remember is that businesses love predictability and certainty, and trade agreements like NAFTA are one of those principal ways that you can pr provide uh, predictability and certainty in, in the trading environment, particularly in a market like North America. So what NAFTA, the original NAFTA did was it made the trading relationships between all three countries crystal clear and enabled you know companies in the United States, Canada, and Mexico to uh, form better relationships with one another, to trade more seamlessly across borders, uh, to really establish uh, new and innovative supply chains. It enabled the innovation to take place. Even if you couldn't conceive of the inter internet back then, I think just the roots of the technologies that we use today really started even prior to NAFTA existing. So, uh, I, I mean, I think there are pieces in, in NAFTA, the original NAFTA that were important to the the tech sector, uh, one of which is the elimination of tariffs, no customs duties whatsoever, uh, duty-free environment. And does that matter for importing parts or things like that, um, assembling equipment? Is that the kind of stuff that, that we saw, is that it was cheaper to buy the, the building blocks of processors and things like that? That's right. It just cuts the costs, those types of costs, out of the supply chains entirely, uh, which makes it cheaper to uh, import, then cheaper to assemble, cheaper to add intermediate products or you know base products to other products, uh, and you know that enables the companies to sell final products to consumers at lower costs. So instead of assigning uh, more resources to 
pay customs duties, they're actually assigning more resources to research and development and to innovation. So the practical impact, I mean, right now we're looking at a renegotiation. That seems like where Canada wants to be and Mexico wants to be, but the United States has still threatened to pull out entirely. What would be the practical impact on the technology industry mm -hmm. of just pulling out wholesale, however unlikely that might be? So the, the biggest practical impact would be the increase in tariffs. It may, may not happen overnight. You know, withdrawal, there's a process for that in the United States, and I, I assume similarly so for Canada and Mexico. Uh, it may take up to a year for the original, for the, the tariffs uh, that the United States has at the WTO level. That's the World Trade Organization. World Trade Organization yeah. to go uh, from zero to th those levels, right? So it might be like average 3.5, 4%. Right. That's actually a lot of cost. Uh, companies will have to pay those duties. And, and then that probably gets passed on to the consumer. It gets passed on to the consumer. Okay. So now you've kind of painted a picture where although it didn't necessarily deal with technology specifically because every business now is a tech company, whether they know it or not, um, it affects them. But it looks like when we're talking about renegotiating NAFTA, one of the things that ITI is interested in is actually getting more specific about things that matter to the tech mm -hmm. industry. So there are things like data localization, right? A lot of countries around the world, this is kind of part of the populist trends we're seeing is that, you know, data about my citizens need to be stored here, right? Then there's also intellectual property, there's cybersecurity, there's government surveillance. I mean, there's a whole host of issues. So I kind of want to give you a chance to, to start and, you know, maybe give an indication of what is the most important piece of uh, renegotiating NAFTA when it comes to these very specific tech uh, items. Mm-hmm. I think this is a golden opportunity, honestly, for uh, any company that's using technology to get the rules that reflect how digital the economy is included in a modernized NAFTA. And I think principal uh, priority here is to ensure that data can flow freely across borders. Because every single company, whether you're a big company, a small company, whether you're in the agriculture sector, energy sector, uh, you, everybody uses data. Everybody needs data to do their business, uh, to innovate, to reach their customers, to you know, service their customers. So if you don't have those f uh, free flows of data across borders, you're, you're not going to be able to do any of those things. The research and development that takes place today will not occur if you can't transfer data across borders. So right now, is it safe to say that between these three countries, you know, Canada, the U.S., and Mexico, data are flowing mostly freely? Yeah, I would say for Canada, United States, and Mexico, there are not a lot of examples of restrictions on cross-border data flows. It's a market that, uh, you know, is, is largely free in that respect. Uh, I, I think the value for a modernized NAFTA is to say, to the rest of the world, North America stands for free flows of data across borders. We want this value, this principle to be extended to other parts of the world. We think this is important for our economic future. And what do you think that by not getting that right in NAFTA, it opens the door for problems like data localization, like restrictions elsewhere? I mean, how influential is one trade agreement in North America mm -hmm. on trade agreements between the US and South Korea or Russia and China and Vietnam and maybe countries that have authoritarian tendencies and they might have very uh, specific reasons why they want data to be local so they can have control over it, so they can surveil mm -hmm. it. I mean, is that the kind of thing that we see with trade agreements where 
other countries might be watching and say, how does NAFTA go? I want to see how that goes before I open a negotiation. And based on what comes out of NAFTA modernization, that'll influence my trade agreement. I think you're spot on because the original NAFTA was effectively the template for much of the trade agreements, many of the trade agreements that occurred after NAFTA was negotiated, even the, the World Trade Organization. So it did set that template for how trade agreements were negotiated in the future. I think if you get a modernized NAFTA that addresses all of these issues, uh, these types of rules have a way of being replicated in other agreements because there's a consensus around those issues. The business community understands those issues to a greater degree. The governments want to learn about them, especially if a market like North America finds consensus amongst the three parties. So uh, I would say if there's a commitment to allow data to flow freely across borders, if there's a commitment to uh, prohibit governments from uh, requiring data to be stored uh, locally or to you know, manage it or process it or you know, otherwise handle it locally, you know, that is enormously powerful. And I think other governments will take notice. And but so when we talk about a country like China, right, and um, a lot of free trade folks have criticized China because doing business in China comes at great cost, not necessarily financial, mm-hmm. but uh, in other ways. And one of the things we see is companies complaining that they've had to turn over source code to China in order to operate in the country, or they have to put up with all sorts of other hyper. Uh, local restrictions. I mean, when I say hyper-local, I just mean specific to China. Um, Why would NAFTA, being modernized in the right way, convince a country like China to not pursue those potentially destructive policies, or maybe not China, but other countries? I mean, do you really think that, you know, with our two biggest trading partners, generally positive relationships, despite politics, you know, currently, you know, why would a country like China really care what we do with Canada and Mexico? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think China always watches what the United States does. Uh, you know, if you look back into the Obama administration, they were paying very close attention to the TPP. Many of these issues would have been addressed in the TPP, uh, but the Trump administration decided to withdraw the United States from the TPP. I think this is another opportunity to tell China that the United States is not going to uh, sit, uh, you know, idly by and watch China require the localization of data and to discriminate against foreign companies in that regard. And um, you cited source code, you know, transfer is another issue. I mean, that's an issue that we're very hopeful that the NAFTA is going to address. Uh, so in many ways, NAFTA is important for the three parties, but it's important for descri- establishing a set of rules that not maybe China won't necessarily use them. But a lot of other countries in the Asia Pacific or in Latin America may say, this makes sense for us. These are the values we want. Right. And then so data restrictions, data localization, they seem like a very high priority. Mm -hmm. Um, Another tech aspect of trade negotiations that comes up anytime you have a conversation, whether it's about the TPP or other trade agreements, is intellectual property. How does that fit into the picture? Because that can get a lot messier. It seems like the tech industry is almost united regardless of whether you're a telecom company or a software manufacturer or an equipment manufacturer, it seems like y'all can get behind things like no data localization or low tariffs or things like that. But when it comes to intellectual property, that might get a lot more, lot more complicated because you've got folks uh, 
in the tech space that want stricter IP and they're worried about other countries pirating software, especially China. Or you want companies that are much more concerned about free speech or uh, users being allowed to post to websites without liability, so they want less restrictive copyright. How does uh, intellectual property fit into the NAFTA equation? Well, all, all our companies all in the tech sector are users of generators of intellectual property, users of intellectual property, licensors of intellectual property. Uh, it's enormously important for them. And I think uh, there are examples of where the tech sector has uh, found consensus on a, a lot of these issues. And I think trade secrets is, is one of them. Uh, uh, the United States has a very robust law uh, that uh, helps companies uh, you know, protect and defend their trade secrets. I think we would expect those types of issues to be included in the NAFTA as well, because uh, it matters for, for, for all our companies. And so would that just look like essentially trying to get U.S.-style protections into trade agreements so that countries like Canada and Mexico or others essentially have to respect U.S. intellectual property law? Yeah, I, I think going back, th these issues were going to be included in the TPP. I think we have a high confidence level that... Um, you know, because Canada and Mexico and the United States were able to, in the TPP, agree on how to protect and enforce trade secrets, you could do so again in a modernized NAFTA. Um, you know, the other issues like copyright, like patents and uh, trademark, I mean, these are all issues that are going to be included one way or another in a modernized NAFTA. It's just a question of how. Um, you know, it, there's a lot of different industries that use copyright for different in different ways, and I think you have to find a consensus amongst those industries. Uh, we are strong supporters of strong and balanced, uh, you know, protection and enforcement of copyright, and we think this is the right way to promote innovation. Uh, and it also does reflect established U.S. law, uh, Digital Millennium Copyright Act. So we're right. you know, we're strong supporters of that. Another issue that we see with trade uh, agreements and technologies interoperability. Um, mm -hmm. So you know. Listeners of this show might take it for granted that when they go abroad, they're, depending on their cell phone plan, it just works, uh, that various uh, applications and pieces of equipment are able to work in different countries. Um, are trade agreements assen uh, essential for interoperability, but also is there a risk that when governments come together and they decide this is the standard or this is the protocol – that you are potentially shutting out new and innovative ways of doing things because now every company has to adopt the standard. Mm -hmm. So you, you can kind of get what I'm saying, right? Where sure. like anytime there's a mandate or an agreement to adopt a specific piece of technology, there's the benefit of interoperability and predictability, but there's the potential drawback where only the big companies that were part of the negotiation, the ones that were at the table, they got to decide what the technology was and the smaller companies did not. Is that the kind of thing we see in trade agreements or are these fairly uncontroversial things like 3G needs to work here, 4G needs to work there? Yeah, I think you have to differ, make a difference between the practical development of an international standard for a technology or a technical a set of technical specifications, I mean that's a very dynamic process that happens largely within the industry. And maybe government has a role to play in certain respects. Uh, but what we support is a, a voluntary consensus, market-based approach to developing standards for technologies. Um, when you're talking about trade agreements, trade agreements don't set standards uh, in in the sense of like a, a product standard per se. Right. What they're important for increasingly so, I think, is establishing uh, ways for 
uh, the different governments to cooperate on, on regulatory issues so that you don't have misalignments of, of regulations that are based on standards that hit the industry has development, developed in the past. So, um, you know, the one example here is uh, on cryptographic goods. So your computer, your iPhone, I mean, so many products uh, that we use on a day-to-day basis all uh, have cryptographic elements to them. So yeah. they use encryption. Yeah, uh, which is really important for security, for privacy, for a whole host of obje- objectives. So, what we're seeking is, is some regulatory cooperation provisions that say you, as a government, cannot ask, uh, ask for uh, me as a company to transfer my encryption keys to you as a condition of market access. Right, and we have seen that kind of thing uh, at least rumored about in China, right? Or in in countries that essentially have a very strong interest in being able to break into encryption. Um, And we see, you know, groups like Tech Freedom, we are supportive of, you know, Americans and global citizens right to encrypt. Uh, We also point out that a lot of these cases are much higher stakes depending on where you live in the world. If you're a dissident journalist, you're a human rights activist, you really need strong encryption. And we've seen a mixed bag. We've seen some countries say encryption is fine and we're going to pursue alternative means of getting the data we need, like government hacking or good old-fashioned police work. Uh, We've seen other countries propose very problematic policies on encryption, either saying we need a backdoor or you need to make a copy of every WhatsApp message you send and put it in an unencrypted format. Um, To what extent are trade agreements really a vehicle for protecting encryption? Mm-hmm. Well, number one, I mean, I, I think the general uh, principle we've, we've tried to espouse is you cannot strengthen security through weakening security. So if you're trying to strengthen security through weakening encryption, uh, such as asking companies to transfer their encryption keys, uh, that's not strengthening security. Yeah, you're essentially, you're promising physical security by giving up your digital security. Yeah, that's right. So the, many of these governments that in China, I think, is a great example here that are asking, perhaps asking companies to transfer encryption keys are doing so for the sake of reaching some sort of national security objective. Right. Um, I think when it comes to trade agreements, you have to look at the, the market access issues, right? Because companies want to access the Chinese market, but they don't yeah. want to do so at the expense of, you know, their their interests with respect to encryption. Um, maybe China doesn't do uh, have that same requirement in, internally for their own companies to transfer their encryption keys. Maybe it's just about the foreign companies. Right. It's, it's hard to a say. A competitive advantage for the domestic firms. That That's correct. So we, we want to make sure for the purpose of a trade agreement, there is that national treatment, that you're treating your domestic companies and the foreign companies on, on an equal basis. There's a level playing field. Are there any issues, you know, we've covered, you know, kind of surveillance, encryption, uh, tariffs, data localization, intellectual property. Are there any other issues where, you know, like here's the part of the show where I always ask my guests (laughs) to have a message for policymakers, right? I mean, to the extent that anyone listening to this program is involved in the NAFTA negotiation, what did we miss or what would you like uh, people to take away? You know, as I'm walking up to the negotiating table, what does the tech industry have to say to these people? Yeah, I would, I would say don't think about the today. Think about the next 25 years, right? We have technologies that are in increasing use uh, by consumers, by businesses here in North America and around the world that 
uh, are incredibly important for how we live, for innovation. Uh, the, the modernized NAFTA needs to take those technologies into account and to enable greater trade in these technologies, to enable greater trade and investment in general uh, by companies that are using these technologies. So, you know, a couple of things that we're citing that maybe uh, the NAFTA, modernized NAFTA could address is how do we ensure that, uh, you know, companies can use algorithms to the greatest degree possible, proprietary algorithms. So I think similar to the source code issue is, you know, do we want some sort of provision that says uh, governments can't require the transfer or access to algorithms? Right. You know, that That's a really, really critical issue for our companies. And that's not currently in NAFTA. Right? No, no, of course not. I mean, yeah, they no have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, no <laughs> idea. So, um, I mean, I think given uh, it seems like on a weekly basis, we're talking more and more about cybersecurity. Uh, there is a role for NAFTA to play to ensure greater cooperation amongst the parties on cybersecurity. How Does that involve information sharing? It can involve information sharing. It can involve a whole host of issues. It could be, you know, principle-based, value-based. It could be, you know, even more specific. I, I'm not, I have no idea where the parties are going to go with that, but I think it's an important issue. Uh, that it, There are trade-related aspects to tr- cybersecurity. Um, so when we talk about the consumer benefit here, um, it sounds like obviously just pulling out of NAFTA, you know, haphazardly would, would obviously harm the consumer with the cost element because any type of tariffs that go up are likely to be passed on to them or they might just take products off the market. That That's easy for people to understand why just upending 25 years of agreement could be bad. Uh, but is there really going to be huge benefits to a modernized NAFTA or are we more just talking about avoiding problems? Like, are, are we is the principal benefit of modernized NAFTA certainty for companies, essentially continuing the good things that they have going now or will we really see better products, cheaper products, faster services? I mean, what kinds of things should consumers be looking out for in this negotiation and how something that's very wonky and might mm-hmm. seem far removed from the average person, why it matters to them? So it's it's hard to explain the value of prevention in general, <laughs> even amongst trade negotiators, because they want to see some tangible result that they've addressed a specific issue. Right. Uh, as a, as a, a recovering negotiator, I like to call myself, <laughs> um, what I like to say is that it, the, the value of prevention is, is incredibly high. You do not want governments to be doing things that are discriminatory and then have an impact on the consumer in the unforeseen future. And oh, let me give you one example here. There is a moratorium at the World Trade Organization on the application of customs duties on electronic transmissions. Now, what does that mean? That means that uh, WTO members, and this is not a, a binding thing, they've, they've essentially agreed to a detente uh, on applying a, a tax on data flows. Right. Right. No one does that. No one's figured out how to do it. Uh, can you imagine a situation where in North America, this is just a hypothetical, right. that anytime you're trying to download a, a video, you're trying to download a song, uh, you don't know where that data is coming from. Yeah, that's but part of the great thing about the internet is that it just could be stored anywhere. It could be stored anywhere, but what if there's some, one of the governments says, we're going to have a tax on the data flows that come from the United States into Mexico, Yeah, right? And you're in Mexico and you're saying, oh, oh, it's more expensive for me? to do this? Like, how is this helpful for me as a consumer? The consumer would bear an enormous part of that cost. Right. And that that's obviously a, a really bad scenario. And, and, just, and we stuck to substance on this show, but just to point out that as countries 
you know, have their relationships, you know, ebb and flow. And, you know, you're in good standing with a country one day and bad standing and another. These kinds of things could be used as retaliation, as political tools for retribution. And really, then you're you're looking at a situation where your technology, your smartphone, your data could be caught up in some uh, inter-country problem you had nothing to do with. And we don't want technology to become a bargaining chip necessarily. That could be bad. So, um, you know, we uh, you, you mentioned earlier before the show that they started negotiations on August 16th. Um, where do you see this going? Uh, do you have like a kind of sense of what the time frame is? Do you have any predictions? So the negotiating schedule is quite quick. Uh, every three weeks, they're going to be doing rounds of negotiations. The next round is in the first week of September in uh, in Mexico City. And then the, th- the r- next round after that is going to be, I believe, in Ottawa. Uh, so they have a very fast, almost historically fast time frame for these negotiations. And uh, there isn't a deadline, but I think the politically speaking, the three parties really would like to get this done. Uh, as fast as possible, including by the end of the year. All right. Well, uh, if uh, modernized NAFTA ends up happening or these negotiations in any way uh, change the game for tech, we'll be tracking on the show. But that's it for today. My guest has been Edward Briswa, Director of Global Policy for ITI. That's better known as the, uh, or sorry, that's what it's known as, but the acronym is the Information Technology Industry Council. Ed, thanks for joining the show. Thanks so much, Evan. It was great being here. And yeah, we'll link to some of those uh, reference materials uh, in the show notes. Uh, but follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tech Freedom. Let us know what you think of the show. Send us an email at mediatechfreedom.org. Find this podcast in the iTunes store. Please leave us a review because we'll help others find the show. Thanks for listening. The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan nonprofit think tank in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work, make a tax-deductible donation, or find other episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.